Hey everyone, Josh here. Quick question for you. Do you like coffee? Even more important question, do you like fresh coffee? Coffee that's roasted to order and doesn't taste like the bottom of your kitchen oven. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you need to head over to McQuanoCoffee.com and get yourself some of the best coffee there is to get. Whether you like the light roast or the dark roast or you're feeling a little whimsical and you want to get that sample pack, McQuano Coffee Roasters has everything you need. And just when you thought this couldn't get any sweeter, make sure to use the promo code REFORMATORY to get 20% off all bagged coffee. Do yourself a favor and stop drinking bad coffee because you know what? Life's too short for that. Head on over to McQuanoCoffee.com and use the promo code REFORMATORY to get 20% off all bagged coffee. You will not regret it. Thanks, and now on to the show. What's wrong with you people? How do y'all feel this morning? Why do you always make me define what you meant? What? That's how I feel. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Hello and welcome to the Reformatory, the podcast where we engage in Christian culture, deep dish pizza, Gosh. and all around, uh, all around good times. Jack, because mm-hmm. we're you and I are having good times right now. Yeah, you sounded very Barry White right there. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> very Barry White. That's mm-hmm. what I'm going for. Very Barry. Sure. Very Barry. <laughs> I want the very Barry. That sounds like <laughs> some name I'm going to give my kid. <laughs> That's so what he's gonna, he's gonna grow up to be known as Very Barry. Oh my yeah. gosh, that kid's gonna hate his life. But okay, <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, you're gonna be his dad. Yeah, yeah. So. But yeah. We'll go. Thanks. Ooh, Thanks, sorry. buddy. Thanks. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> little harsh. Little harsh. But anyway, yeah, Jack. We are we are in Chicago. Mm-hmm. We are enjoying uh, everything Chicago has to offer, which is much. Sure. Yeah. Do as the Romans do, per se. <laughs> Do as the Romans do. Well, sure, we are Romans, and we are enjoying uh, the meat sacrificed to idols <laughs> and everything. Uh, yeah, uh, Jack, what do you got for me today, man? Uh, Josh, happy National Monte Cristo Day. Monte Cristo. You now, know what that is? Uh, is it a food? It is a food. Monte Cristo. Hold on. No, I don't know what. Do I? Oh, I might man. know oh, what it Pat's is. Gonna, oh, just, Pat's going to kill you maybe now. Maybe <laughs> just not by name. Maybe not by name. Explain to me what a Monte okay, Cristo a is. Monte Cristo is, and and Pat can can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is French is a type of French, is a sandwich. Oh, yes. Yes. The it's, French toast. It's like French toast. But it's with not, but the French toast is not like, uh, it's not flavored. Right. So it's say. like a French toast ham and cheese, right? Yes. Isn't that what it is? Yes. Is there basically. normally cabbage in there? Or no. am I thinking of something else? You're thinking of something weird. Okay. But yes. All right. My wife loves those. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know if I can get over the the combination of flavors. French toast with ham and it's cheese. It's not that bad. It's uh, it's a little, it's not as, as, uh, as sweet as technically French toast is. Okay. Because you have to make it into a sandwich, but it's not like as sweet forward tasting as you would expect. Well, I mean, here's the thing though. Real talk. Coming from a guy who hates deep dish, I don't know if I'm going to take a whole lot of recommendations oh, here we go. for you. Here we go. This I know, whole time, I know, I I, I've said I don't like deep dish, and, and Josh is just going to ridicule me on the podcast. I am never going to let it go. Time ever. We record. Dude, here's the thing. Like, I'm like a, I'm like a, like a, I'm like a pit bull. I find something to to to, to bite. This subject and is, I lock on. This subject is a bad penny. It will <laughs> never always let come go. Up. Ever, okay. ever. Well, Jack, today's a special day. Because we is. have a special guest mm-hmm. in the studio and, with us today. And we're in a special place, too. We are in a special place. Where are we right now? We are at uh, La Vida, which is everything cigars. Which is the Coldplay tribute, uh, Cold Play tribute <laughs> house, right? <laughs> Live Cold in La Vida. Er, 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 right, right. Isn't, that the, isn't that the song? La Vida? Oh, yeah. The, uh, the All the bells Live going. in La Vida Loca. That's oh what I'm thinking. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's a different song. We're not going to touch that. We're not going to touch that with a ten foot pole. Uh, yes, we are. We are. We are in a very cool spot. We have a very cool guy with us, uh-huh. sitting right in front of me, right next to Jack. Yes, smoking his pipe, making this place sound amazing. We have the right honorable 
Reverend Pat Aldridge with us. Reverend, huh? Reverend. That's awesome. I just dude. yes, Reverend yeah. Bishop. We could go His Highness if you like. Yeah. Yeah, pastor's fine. Okay, fine. Yeah, that's pastor. E- that's easier. Okay. All right. Pat, how are you doing, my friend? I am well. Thanks for having me on. It's 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 a joy to be with you you fine men. Yeah. <laughs> He uses the term fine men and joy very loosely, but that's all right. He is nothing but gracious. But, uh, Pat, you have been very graciously uh, giving at least me room and board and uh, giving Jack definitely board amenities. Uh, We thank you for your hospitality, letting us stay here. And, Jack, tell us just a little bit about you and... Or excuse me, Pat. Man, here's the thing. I'm I'm already thrown off. Like, we have two people. I don't know who to address. Pat, tell us a little bit about you and what you do at uh, Redeemer here in St. Charles. So I am community life pastor at Redeemer, and um, I oversee all of our what we term smaller gatherings. So I oversee children's ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, youth ministry, community groups, discipleship groups. Um, I, you know... uh, I end up doing a lot of counseling, one-on-one, couples counseling, marriage counseling, premarital counseling. Um, what's, what's your favorite type of counseling, and what's your least favorite type of counseling? Uh, my least favorite is really easy. I freak out every time someone calls me and says, hey, can we sit down and talk? Isn't that the worst? I have the worst PTSD from that because it's never good, ever. And even if it is, it doesn't matter because right. you still feel like it's going to be horrible. Yeah. You know, early on in, in in ministry for me, it was kind of an, an oh crap moment. Like, what am I going to have to apologize for this time? You know, um, and then typically it was getting into some uh, it, it wasn't me. It was them who needed, you know, advice and counsel and stuff like that. Like, you know, right. deep, deep sins and stuff. So, um, Yeah. But it still freaked me out, and you know, even even with it, even if it wasn't me, it was, um, you know, what am I going to say to this person? What are they going to say to me? And then how am I going to respond? So, yeah. But yeah, stuff like you know, discipleship meetings, and you know, even premarital counseling, um, <coughs> is is fun for me. Right. So, Pat, we wanted to have you on, um, one, because you're a cool guy, and two, because we wanted to talk about the importance of discipleship within the church, having a discipleship ministry within the church, and having just kind of a culture and a focus of discipleship within the context of the local church, because I think there's a lot of churches out there that when you talk about discipleship, what that looks like, what, what even that is, you're going to get a lot of answers, and I think there's going to be a lot of people who perhaps maybe don't have a, f- a firm enough grasp on, one, what discipleship is, and, pre- and two, the importance of discipleship in the church than perhaps they should. And I, I definitely throw myself in, in this as well. I can remember being early in ministry and things like that where I had no clue really what discipleship was. I knew we were supposed to make disciples. I knew it was important. But I really didn't know what or how to get to that point, right? So maybe we can just start off with, if you, if you can, for us, as succinctly as you can, define what discipleship is in the context of the local church. So the way we talk about it at Redeemer um, is, is pretty simple. It's someone who's a little further down the road, a little more spiritually mature than you are, and you walk and you walk with that person in order to help them spiritually mature with the hope that one day they'll be prepared to do it for somebody else um i read a book a couple years ago and the quote is stuck with me that the gospel came to you on its way to somebody else and so oh that's great yeah so our job you know to to make disciples you know, Jesus laid that out, Matthew 28. Um, he laid that out, and and that's the mission of the church, right? Not to make converts, mm-hmm. but to make disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but we do that as disciples because not only 
do I need to di- be discipling people? I need myself need to be discipled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good definition. I like the, I like the, I don't know if it's a distinction or at least I think the focus of kind of what, what you touched on there at the end is that it is important for us. I've, I've heard it put this way. Um, everyone needs a Paul and everyone needs a Timothy, right? So it's important, I think, for every believer to be one, having somebody inputting into them and having that accountability, that knowledge and that that experience that I think you're talking about, having that somebody inputting into your life uh, and leading you along the path that they've already walked. Right. And I, it's equally important to have that individual as well that you are inputting into and something that I have found in the especially kind of in the context of broader church culture if you will is this idea that it has to be always it's not discipleship unless it's this official like names on a paper he is my discipler she is my discipler right and not to say that you can't you can't do it that way you know I think I think there's a lot of a lot of great a lot of great relationships have been formed like that. But would you say it's when we're talking about discipleship as as a concept, would you say it's a little broader than that? Yeah, it's definitely broader than that. Um, think about, you know, parents to their kids. That's discipleship. Yeah. Um, and that should be happening formally and informally. That should be a regular part and routine of of family life. Um, you think about evangelism, which I kind of define as pre-discipleship. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, um, because you, before you can disciple someone, they need to believe. So you're leading them in that. And then beyond that moment of conversion, you're leading them in spiritual maturity. So and that happens in a variety of contexts. Even at Redeemer, it happens in a variety of contexts. We have community groups, which is, you know, 12 to 15 adults that meet regularly and, you know, really practice the, the one another's that we read about in the, in the New Testament. Um, um, we have discipleship groups, which are smaller gatherings, which are um, men with men, women with women. And, you know, we're getting into each other's lives, like where are we struggling with sin and, you know, holding each other accountable and and those types of things. And, you know, for us, like our community groups are there to experience community, to do those one another's with each other. You know, as cheesy as it sounds, we do life together. You know, we know what's going on. Sure. You know, my community group, for instance, you know, we have a, a group text. And, you know, we don't just use it, you know, to make sure who's who's going to show up, but we use it for prayer requests through the week and, you know, what's going on and, you know, to check in, you know, with 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 each other. And it's it's a beautiful thing when it when it functions that way, you know, and we all can get, you know, complacent and, oh, I don't want to bother them, you know, but that's what we're there for, that we need each other. Yeah, I think this is. Uh, really important as well too because um, in my role as a deacon within my church uh, I'm over a discipleship group of men and uh, I've had to tell them constantly hey don't feel like you need to hold anything back in this group like this is a a place where you can talk about the hardships of life and nobody is going to come at you and say oh well you stink and you need to do better and stuff like that it's like we're all here to help one another. Um, I've used a verse often in our group, my men's group of uh, in Ephesians uh, chapter four, in kind of the middle of the chapter, talking about how Christ uh, appointed apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints to do and build up um, them up for the work of ministry. And so I tell my guys all the time, it's like we're doing that. And then on top of it, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity uh, with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So 
I talk to my guys quite frequently about that and how our group is structured like that and they shouldn't hold anything back. And I've really seen a lot of fruit from that. Uh, some guys who have struggled with depression and they felt like most of their life they've been uh, conditioned through certain church uh, cultures to like, oh, I just got to keep that in. I can't, I can't show weakness or I can't do this or else uh, they're going to out me. I've had to really talk through and pray with some guys of just like, hey, it's okay to call me up. Call me up whenever you can. I've had times where a guy has texted me in maybe some inopportune times, but it's not inopportune to me. And pray for him and walk through scripture and encourage him. And so I think it's just what you talked about, Pat, is is really important. And I'm just giving a ground level from somebody who's in there on the front lines. But yeah. And it's those divine appointments that you just can't plan. You know, it's those crisis moments where, where I need to make sure I'm thinking about this rightly and I need to bounce this off somebody. That's where, you know, the, the, the community aspect comes in. So you, you touched on something that, that I'd like to unpack a little bit. A huge part of discipleship is this idea of accountability. Um, so I guess I guess the first question before we kind of get into I I think the importance of accountability. Why do you think there is because there is <laughs> in a lot of churches kind of a stigma or a almost a visceral reaction on a personal level toward accountability and and having that person or those those people involved in your life in not just a surface level way, right? Why, why do you think there is something perhaps innate with us, innate in us, rather, that, that, that the desire for that doesn't come naturally? I mean, the easiest answer is that's just sinful pride. We want to project, you know, the, the Facebook, the Instagram version of ourselves that... No, no, no. That's that's totally reality. Okay. It's, it's totally real. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. While forgetting the point that, you know, we're all sinners. Yeah. And your sin may be different than mine, but it still needs to be dealt with. And for a lot of sin, I would say most sins, I need someone checking in on me. Mm. I need, you know, I know, I know what my go-to sins are. You know, anger, you know, it starts out as annoyance, but it quickly moves to anger and, you know, lust and and these things, you know, if, if I'm stressed, if I'm tired, if I'm hungry, I'm more susceptible to that. And so, you know, I need, I need guys checking in on me. You know, I need guys that I can call in a moment of temptation and say, Hey, Here's what's going on. What am I doing wrong? Or here's what's going on. Pray for me. Yeah, no, exactly, man. I think I, I completely 100% agree. I think we all we all need that. We all need to realize we need that. And I think the individual that says they don't need that is either very, very <laughs> deceived of the, of the depravity of their own heart or there are sins there that they don't want brought to light Mm -hmm. right it's usually it's usually one of the two yeah and i would say too that sometimes it can look like uh you came from a certain uh, church culture in which it was perpetuated uh within that culture uh to shame you if you confessed and there wasn't a uh what we call like a gospel culture within your church where there's going to be confession and forgiveness and repentance and redemption out of that but it's more like you screwed up you're going in you know time out or in the hole for x amount of days or something like that and you need to do your penance versus i think where we cultivate a a a gospel culture within our church and it's like no you need those daily you need that daily confession in your life not only to one another but also to god as well and then uh cultivating that more and more but yeah i've i've seen that prevalent a lot where guys have come from they grew up in the church and uh certain church cultures have have kind of put this weight on them of this is the pinnacle of what you need to be within our church 
and it creates a huge burden on them versus uh, what scripture is really telling us. Yeah, it's unrealistic expectations, um, but also it's, you know, our the worldly culture that we live in, while we claim to want transparency and honesty, as and, and we all want that as long as we're not shown in a bad light. Yes, that's right. That's right. We all want to be transparent and honest as long as the things we are transparent about are the things that we think are people want to hear. Right. <laughs> right. And, and the things and that make us look good. You know, we want others to be transparent and honest with us so that we don't have to be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that stings. That hurts. Pat. Okay. Well, this has been a good ep. Um, we're going to... Uh, <laughs> wrap up here no um yeah no I, I i completely agree and i think we have in a lot of churches kind of like what jack was talking about this this idea that if you confess certain sins whatever they are the automatic response to that is going to be you're shamed you're put down and you are harshly disciplined right and sure there are some cases where discipline needs to happen for sure but how do we as people who love our church, people who are involved very heavily in our churches, how do we begin to cultivate that culture, if you will, of, <clears throat> for lack of a better term, just, just, just authenticity with each other, right? To where if I am struggling with something, I know the, the absolute most important thing that I could do in that moment is to go confess that to one of my family members in Christ. How do how do we begin to to change the expectations and change the mind from I I want to keep this hidden because people are going to think bad of me and I'm going to get in trouble and that 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 real real shameful mentality toward uh, toward our sin to no the best thing that I can be doing right now is to get this into the light so that I can be ministered to by my brothers and sisters. How do we begin to cultivate that, do you think? Um, I would say make a clear distinction between guilt and godly sorrow. Oh, that's you know, go, good. Go, go 2 Corinthians 7, right? Because godly sorrow leads to repentance. Grief and shame lead to more grief and shame. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <clears throat> part of, part of the reason that a lot of people don't want to talk about their sins is because they don't know how to deal with it yet. If they talked about it, somebody in the group, whether you're talking community group or discipleship group, somebody in that group has probably struggled with that and can show you how to reconcile that show you what what steps need to be taken in order to make that situation right right or or is currently struggling with that themselves and boom you have somebody there that can help keep you accountable we all think that our problems are unique to us and yet <laughs> i don't know jack's problems are pretty unique to him i'm just gonna say Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Apparently, my hatred of deep dish pizza is only, uh, <laughs> or my disdain for it, I guess, is only unique to me, maybe. That is unique to only you. Yes. Yeah. yeah nobody else. Nobody else struggles with that. <laughs> yeah, Jack, if that's the, the level, the depth of your sin, I think you're doing OK, my friend. Well, here's the thing that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the level of transparency he's been with me. So I feel like we need, <laughs> I feel like we need to do some work. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and it was I think it was Paul Tripp that, you know, coined the phrase, you know, relationships are messy, but they're a mess worth making. We mm -hmm. we all have mess and, you know, we can be we should be free in a Christian context as believers to be able to share that mess and and carry, you know, carry that burden, you know, and and point each other to remind each other, you know, who we are in Christ, you know, that we that we are completely forgiven, we are completely justified, and that sanctification is a slow, slow process. Um, and, you know, you think about it on like a, a, a needle, a, like a barometer needle, right? If you move it a millimeter in the positive direction, that's still growth. Yeah. You know, we all want that, you know, to jump from one side of the, one side of the, the, the display to the other, you know, with this huge leaps and growth. And it just, 
sanctification doesn't work like that. No, no. I wish it did. See, yeah. and I don't think so, because if you changed that radically that fast, you'd freak out about that. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, yeah. If we all had like a Paul on the road to Damascus experience, we'd right. be like, wait, well, hold on. Because yeah. at that point, it's like, well, where do you go now? <laughs> right. I've got I've got no more progress I can make. <laughs> that sounds that sounds really defeatist. I don't, I don't know if that's actually <laughs> actually correct. So you have this culture of accountability discipleship in the church. You are and I'm assuming I would be right in saying that it has to start for lack of a better term top down. It has to be a trickle down thing. Like it, if the leadership of the church is not exhibiting that themselves and showing that authenticity not not just to each other in in the context of the leadership but also to the people in the church i feel like it has to start there that's fair that's fair you know and that i mean because that's that you know we're the ones who are responsible for creating that culture and shepherding that culture so yeah, yeah you know whether it's in the pulpit or you know even in the children's ministry classes, you know, being open and honest about sin and struggle, you know, gives other people freedom to do the same. Right. Right. So say you have that, you have that in the, in, in the culture of the leadership, you have that as the culture of the church, you have somebody who's in your congregation who really, really struggles, perhaps let's, let's take, for example, someone who is dealing with a lot of church hurt, right? Who's had some very, very bad experiences in church, not necessarily even their fault. They've just, they have been seriously hurt by past leadership, past churches before. And a natural consequence of that is a lack of desire to be transparent <laughs> because last time I opened myself up, uh, I got hurt pretty bad, and people took advantage of that, right? How do you begin to counsel and work with that individual to get them to the place where they understand, look, yes, I know there's there's some horrible churches out there. There's some horrible leaderships out there. But that doesn't mean that we just reject the church and reject the accountability and the community that's there. How do you, how do you begin to work through those issues? Because I'm, I'm sure you've dealt with it. Right, I'm sure you've dealt with people who coming coming into Redeemer who've just had a horrible time with churches. How do you begin to work with those people to get them get them back to that point? Um, I would say, you know, the first thing we do is we give them time, we give them space, time to heal, space to process. Um, um, you know, we've had a lot of people come to us from the exact situation you're discussing. And we just encourage them, come and just be with us. You know, come come to corporate worship. Come to community group. You don't have to say a word, but come. And it's through the demonstration of other people being vulnerable, other people giving wise, godly counsel, that they'll start to understand nobody's perfect here. Everybody is struggling in some way with some sin. And we honestly want to help each other become more godly. Mm. To be the people that God designed us to be. Yeah. No, I think that's right on. I think, you know, the reason I ask that is because and we've discussed this a little bit on the podcast. I've talked to Jack and Pat about it, and they know that 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 is something I've got. I've got a heart for people that come from that background, because you know my wife and I have gone through some very very trying church experiences. We'll just leave it at that. And I have experienced exactly what you're talking about. The only thing that has made a difference in my life, because I remember going through these experiences and not wanting to be at church at all. The only thing, the only reason I was in church was because I knew biblically that's what I was supposed to do. Right. Like I, and I thank the Lord that I, he's, he's kept that conviction intact because <laughs> otherwise I just would have been, you know what? Peace out. I'm, I'm done. It was a have to, not a want. It to. was a have to, not a want to. There was no desire there whatsoever, but that, what, that exactly what 
what you're talking about there exactly is what the Lord used to bring the healing, right? And the same, the Lord uses the same people that brought the hurt to bring the healing. It's his people. It's his community, right? It's, it's the people of God coming around you and just like what you're saying, doing life with you, pointing you to Christ, being authentic and giving you time to grieve, giving you time to process, and then gently, graciously, subtly, and very lovingly pushing a little bit. Let's let's get a little bit more involved. Mm-hmm. Let's you know come to the community group, come come to come to the Bible study, come to the prayer meeting. Right, that's what the Lord used, and I think we often, I think people that experience church hurt often swing, and and I know I did swing too far on the other side of the pedestal, and. I am a testament to what happens when a godly group of Christians come around you and love you like Christ and point you toward him. It's it it is I I I can't imagine it happening any other way. So yeah, I think another step in that and you, you know, you're right in saying it's from the top down, but public confession public repentance of leadership because none of us do it perfectly sure you know it's 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 leadership modeling what it means to take responsibility for for your mistakes you know um early on in redeemer um there was a there was a preschool that was attached to redeemer from before it was redeemer and um the decision was made that when Redeemer started, that the preschool would continue. Well, this ministry started in this building, you know, 30 years ago. It was all it was staffed by all members, and then slowly over time, what would happen? And I get why it happened. You know, you start taking registration in January, but in March, you know, Miss Mabel and her husband are moving out of state. Well, now we don't have a we have a class without a teacher. And if nobody at the church wants to fill that position, then we have to look outside. And it happened often enough to the point where there was only one member of the church who served in that ministry. And it got to the point where the relationship just was so broken that the elders decided to kill that ministry. Sure. Um, Our mistake in all of this was not letting the congregation know at members meetings what was going on. Oh, okay. okay. And so we had to come we had to we had to take responsibility for that like hey, we we should have been more transparent with you than we were. Um, you know, because because of where I was as an elder, you know, um um I was a lay elder at the time, but I was still had, you know, that re- that responsibility fell to me as you know, because that was part of the kids' ministry. It fell under that umbrella. So, um, you know, the elders knew the struggle I was having, but the church didn't. And so when we when we made this announcement at church, there were a few families that freaked out about it. You know, people that had kids in that ministry who, who, who used that preschool. Um, and... So, you know, very quickly after that, we're like, hey, we messed up. And it was public. It was during a worship service. Like, hey, here's our mistake. We're asking for your forgiveness. And we moved on. So, you know, but that taught us that lesson that we that this is why leadership needs to be transparent. This is why leadership needs to model what repentance looks like. Well, and that's that's so that's. That's really, really important, and I think a really, a really powerful message that you can send your congregation, especially to those that have been church hurt, is like, look, we have a leadership here that cares enough about their congregation, cares enough about being Christ to their congregation to admit when they're wrong and to seek repentance, right? Because I think, you know, especially, especially for Jack and I, we're, we're in the Pacific Northwest, and certain events and individuals and churches uh, that 
have been in the Seattle, greater Seattle area, we'll just leave it at that, um, the ramifications of that not happening are still felt. S- you know? I know not what you speak of. Yeah, okay. Ja- Jack? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Codename Dark Crystal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. All righty then. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I think that um, those, I think not seeing that, I, well, first, just not having good church polity or church government really um, stifles any chance of seeing confession from your leaders, too. And then also, I, like I said, if there's no gospel culture there, uh, kind of like what Ray Ortland talks about in his book, The Gospel, uh, then there's not going to be a, a kind of a flourishing and then also this striving towards that, not only amongst your people, but also amongst your leaders. So there's going to create that division. But um, I know that, yeah, like Josh said, I think we've experienced a lot. And then seeing, I know that within my local church, coming from a conglomerate of bigger churches or a conglomerate of one church that was many campuses that disintegrated because of just like what Pat's talking about um, and then trying to rectify that by repentance. Uh, it's been a hard time and it, and it takes some time and it takes some legitimate like Holy Spirit gospel scalpeling uh, in surgery, uh, a season of surgery, so to say, to take that out and to put back in um, that repentance and really a scriptural view of what it means to lead. But yeah, you know, there's there's part of me, you know, that that doesn't get how a preacher can stand up and preach the gospel that you need to repent and not be practicing it. Oh, it happens. (laughs) Oh, I know. I know. And that, you know, that's the the part I get is the pride part. It's the, you know, where, where's the humility? Where is the obedience? Where is the upfront practical application of what you're saying? Yeah. 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 And, you know, at the end of the day, I think if we're going to, if we're going to boil it down to what, what truly is one of the most important characteristics that not only the leadership but also the members of the church can have in order to be creating this culture of discipleship and authenticity in the church? Correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I think it 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 takes humility. Like we have to be humble. That that's probably the biggest thing that it takes it takes more than that mm, oh yeah but oh, certainly yeah, sure, not sure. less than that mm. you know it takes being faithful it takes being available it takes being teachable um, um you know i love the fact that you know the great commission go and make disciples right just be faithful with the message leave the results up to me yeah that that takes the pressure off me as i'm sharing the gospel with somebody right because I don't have to, I don't, I don't necessarily have to reap that field, but I do need to sow it, and I do need to work that that soil so yeah. that, you know, at the right time, that person will believe. Well, isn't it so nice too? Like believing in the in the theology that we do, that takes a load off. I can't imagine living in a world where I believe that the the person's quote unquote decision to follow Christ rests on my uh, my ability to present the gospel. <laughs> that's terrifying. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, any one of us could have a perfectly logical, thought out presentation, right? Yeah. But I can't change somebody's heart. No, I can't take someone from death to life. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Mm. And that's why I'm so thankful that all I have to be do all I have to do is be faithful with that message. Love it. Love it. Oh man. Well that's good. I think I think this I'm really glad we were able to have this talk. We would be amiss though if we ended this ep without talking about something that all three of us know and love very well, and that is nerd culture. I want to riff on this a little bit. So we're gonna take a hard pivot. <laughs> That's hard fine. pivot That's from fine. discipleship, we, authenticity. We got humility. the business out of the way. We did. Business is done. 
we all need to be better. We we know this. <laughs> now I want I want I want to talk about why we're really here. That Batman trailer though. <laughs> that looks good. And you know, for those of you that don't know, um, I am a hardcore comic sci-fi just geek. Um, my personal opinion is that we all geek out about something, and just because what I geek out about isn't what you geek out about doesn't mean that you're not a geek, you know? Right, right. So I want to go around the table really quick. I've just got a few nerd culture questions. I'm going to start with Pat, and we're going to go to Jack, and then me. Uh, all right, Pat, Marvel or DC? Marvel. Jack? Man, Marvel, I think Marvel, but then, I don't know, DC stock is coming up in the, coming up in the market here, especially with the fandom. The fandom, they just launched a ton of stuff at us, and Marvel's kind of in this slump right now where they're not doing so much. And then just DC's like, oh, we taking this today. <laughs> so I'm going DC. I have to go DC because no matter how bad people crap on the movies, DC's where it's at. So, okay. All right, Pat. Favorite uh, character, superhero from Marvel because you're a Marvel guy. We'll stick in that vein. Uh, Wolverine. Oh, classic. Love it. And it's and it's it's basically for me, it's a toss up between Wolverine and Thor. Two solid choices. All right, Jack. Man, I would have to kind of agree with Pat on the Wolverine aspect. I know like growing up, like Wolverine was like the classic. He was just so much of a complex character, especially in the comics and then going into the movies, although some movies kind of screwed that up. <laughs> Origins. Um, and then, um, gosh, the other superhero, I think the movies made me like him a little bit more, but also the comics, you definitely saw him as a complex character, was Tony Stark. Uh, you saw him deal with a lot of pain in his life and struggles. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think the, I think the movies, especially having Robert Downey Jr. in that role, really just made him, like, a little bit more lovable and a little bit more comedic to the to the MCU. So yeah, I would say Iron Man, Wolverine. Yeah. So I'm just gonna be the basic like white boy nerd and go Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Batman, Batman's app like but Batman's amazing. I I I do believe if you pair Batman up with any superhero, Batman's gonna find a way to win. He's gonna find a way. He's gonna take his licks. He's probably gonna probably gonna walk away with some broken ribs for sure, but he will win. You know, he did team up with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in some comics and in some <laughs> shorts as well too. So that was also that was also a huge uh, a huge thing for me growing up was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But that's I don't know if they're DC or not. Has any side claimed them? No, they're an independent. Okay. Um, all right, Pat. Best movie or tv show adaptation of any superhero so basically what what's on top for you uh movie is easy it's captain america winter soldier oh no um, oh no so we're gonna we're gonna well no we're not gonna fight we're gonna have unity in the non-essentials we're here. gonna have we're gonna have a long conversation off air. More oh, than now, likely. see now, see, let's see. Here's the thing: you're you're bringing back those texts. Like, can I? Can we talk? <laughs> like, you can't do that to me. <laughs> the PTSD is too strong mm. now. <laughs> um, in in TV, hmm. Uh, the Netflix Daredevil, especially season one, was really good. Um, I think he was the strongest Netflix character that they rolled out. Um. Yeah, that would be it for me. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna switch this up, and there's gonna be a recent show that I'll mention. But then, as far as the movie goes, that I like that was that was based on the comics, but they took some liberty. Was uh, X Men: Days of Future Past? I really liked that movie a lot, mainly because as a kid, uh, the X Men animated show did that a little bit. Obviously, they switched out some characters with like Bishop and Wolverine time traveling, but I think that was like a really good adaptation of a comic. And then a show that's actually DC is The Boys uh, on Amazon Prime. It's a little bit, it's definitely gritty. It's gritty, but I, that grittiness, it kind of shows 
it's almost like meta in a way because it's like making fun of the DC and Marvel universes. And so I don't know. I like that show recently, but yeah, it is gritty. I'll say that much. Yeah. The boys is what would happen to soup if superheroes were owned by a corporation. So, Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. Interesting for me. Again, I feel like, I feel like I'm just kind of a one trick pony here. Batman. <laughs> okay. You know what, Pat? <laughs> We will have a conversation after this. <laughs> now, the the ultimate edition of Batman v Superman. What sold me on that on 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 Ben Affleck as Batman was the warehouse fight. When Batman flies when Alfred drops him off on the second floor, all the bad guys are on the third. And they're all waiting for him to come through the door, but he comes through the comes through the floor and then just goes to town on all of the bad guys. You see, in my opinion, the at least in film, the greatest uh, depiction of what Batman is supposed to be. He just he is just an animalistic brute that just tears the living daylights out of everybody. I, I love it. I, I can just watch that scene on loop. So I'll even build on that a little bit to say that Batfleck was the best film version of Batman. While I'm nostalgic for Michael Keaton, because that was the first, you know, I think Batfleck pulled it off. 100% agree. Um, I'm holding out for Robert Pattinson. The trailer was good. I loved the trailer a lot, and I'm I'm waiting to see how he's gonna do it. I, so, I, I think we've got some. I think so we've got I some good agree. flavor. The trailer looked awesome, and I'm gonna go see this movie, hopefully in the theaters, because um, I'm still kind of freaked out about going to the theater right now. Um, thanks, COVID. Um, yeah, thanks. But uh, my fear is that we got all the goodness packed in the trailer. And the rest of the movie is going to bomb. <sighs> I, I doubt it. I hope you're wrong. I do, too. Yeah. I, because here's the thing. I'm a Marvel guy. I grew up, you know, <clears throat> I have in my basement, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of ten to 15,000 comic books. Is that the basement I'm, I'm staying in right yeah, now? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to find that tonight. Yeah, you are. Um, but... And so, you know, I've tried DC a couple times with a couple different characters. There are some DC characters that I like. Green Lantern's one of them. Um, uh, Nightwing is one of them. So, you know. Um, <coughs> but if, if the DC Marvel or, or if the DC movies do well, then Marvel's going to up their game. And then DC is going to up their game again. And it's just going to keep going. So... It behooves me to have a DC film do well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, I'm holding out for... So, ha have we thought up a nickname for Robert Pattinson's Batman yet? Pat Fleck? No. <laughs> Pat... Patman. We could call him Patman. <laughs> I think it was... I think he's been named Battinson recently or something like that. So that's better than Patman because that yeah. could be, get confusing. That could be you, Pat. Yeah. Pat see, Man. that's the problem. <laughs> we see the problem all of a sudden. All right. Well, we are we are a trademarking Patman. <laughs> we're gonna get Pat a suit and a mask. <laughs> I hate my <laughs> and, life. <laughs> oh, not yet. You, <laughs> you will. Right, hey, Pat. Before we get out of here, go ahead and plug uh, the Geekly Planet for us. So, yeah, uh, a couple years ago, we, Matt Hample and I started the Geekly Planet. We were constantly texting back and forth about different things that were going on in kind of pop culture, whether it was comics or, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, um, you know, all things kind of geek. You know, Matt's on the toy collection side of things. I'm on the comic side of things. We have mutual affection for everything sci-fi so we started talking about that um we brought tj tamer in and you know matt had to step back because he's going back to school to be a real teacher instead of just a teacher's assistant so uh you know props to him for 
doing what he needs to do. But uh, he pops on every once in a while. But yeah, weekly episode ish. When you know, um, and we 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 do we talk about the things we geek out about. Um, you know, from it's been weird with COVID because not much has come out. You know, besides like DC fandom and stuff like that. So it's hard to talk about movie trailers and things we're excited about seeing. But uh, yeah. It's not just it's not just pop pop culture. We talk baseball. We talk, you know, what's going on. So, yeah, come check it out wherever you get your podcasts. There you go. Uh, I would I will say a good primer for you if you are into anything comics uh, and also Christianity is a book by Todd Miles. It's called Superheroes Can't Save You. It's a really good book talking about uh, different heresies within church history and how we actually see them through the lens of Marvel and DC. And so Todd does. Uh, Todd was actually one of my professors at Western Seminary. He does a great job of just going through that. Such a good book. Yeah, it's such a, a great good book. book. So helpful. Too. It is, and uh, it's it's just so good. It's really enriching to to walk through that and see. Uh, all those different heresies put into a modern day spin of which some people like ourselves <laughs> can relate to but uh, I'll plug that book but then also you can uh, thank you guys for uh, coming on and listening to uh, Pat talking about discipleship and us nerding out about Marvel and DC uh, you can catch us on all the sociables uh, as Josh likes to say uh, you can check us out on the tweaker on the Facebook and on the instant gram. The sociables? Is that what you said? <laughs> yes. Yeah, you yeah, made up this a, word. No, no. So here's the thing. The, the sociables, this, this is going back to the days of Daniel. The sociables, our very first pro, uh, promo video for the reformatory was Daniel and me sitting in his, his like, smoke shed. And he's plugging. He's like, and you can catch us on all the sociables. The tweaker. The Facebook, the the Instagrams, <laughs> and we just rolled with it. So it's been the sociables ever okay. since, ever okay. since. But yeah, Jack's right. You can catch us on all of those at Reformatory Pod. Want to thank Mr. Pat, Pastor Pat, for being on the podcast with us. And we will catch you next time on the Reformatory. Mm-hmm.